0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Miradian. And joining us today is Dr. Greg Austin, who heads uh, the Cyber Power and Future Conflict Program at the International Institute for Strategic Studies in Singapore. Greg, thanks so very much for joining us.
1: Yes. Hello, Vago. Thank you.
0: Uh, A pleasure uh, having you. And before people wonder, uh, you're in uh, Washington, D.C., so at least the arranging of time zones was a little bit easier in this instance than it might otherwise uh, might otherwise be. So thanks very much for making time for us. Uh, And before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, Greg, uh, Russia is regarded as a first-rate cyber power. uh, And there were widespread concerns about how we would use that power, both against Ukraine, uh, but as well worldwide in the wake of its invasion and certainly in how it's been punished. U.S., British, European officials warned of malicious cyber activity in the wake of the invasion, but we really haven't seen that much uh, activity. And indeed, uh, we've seen some extraordinary brain drain uh, from from Russia, and I want to get to that in a minute. But what's your assessment of Russian cyber capabilities and power as of May 18 today? Well,
1: thank you, Valgo. Uh, So the IISS conducted a wide-ranging study of the cyber power of 15 countries last year. Uh, Russia was one of them. Uh, China was another, the United States was also another. We concluded that Russia and China were tier two cyber powers uh, behind the United States. The United States was the only tier one cyber power in the world, leading strengths, world leading strengths in all categories of relevant capability. Now, Russia, uh, we, we thought that Russia had some limitations. One of the big limitations it had was its dependence on the international supply chain, its dependence on foreign corporations. So, for example, one third of employment uh, in the Russian ICT sector was provided by foreign firms working in Russia. Another big uh, sort of uh, weakness in the Russian uh, ICT sector was the relatively low output of high-quality graduates in the numbers uh, that other countries were able to produce, uh, for example, in contrast with the United States. So there are a few structural limitations. Uh, On the uh, operational side, Russia was clearly very active uh, in and trying to do uh, destructive things against Ukraine in the war, but more generally against the West. We're all familiar with some of those stories. But what we saw uh, as a result of the Ukraine invasion, and even prior to it, was a heavy mobilisation by Western governments and even by the Western private sector. Microsoft's a very good example uh, of defensive operations to defeat almost everything that the Russians tried uh, in cyberspace uh, in the lead up to the invasion uh, and after.
0: So is this uh, an instance of us uh, being good? I mean, we have a tendency of building up our adversaries. Is, is this an, an instance of the Russians being good or that they were actually okay and we for too long were just sloppy?
1: Well, I think that the assessments were influenced by the uh, asymmetry of reporting. So the Western, the United States is a very open society. It reports at length. On everything that the Russians and Chinese do, um, uh, that reporting comes from government sources and the private sector. Uh, there's not so much reporting on what the United States does, so there's an imbalance in information. So we could, could form the impression very easily, based on public reporting, that Russia and China, simply because they're so active and their successful attacks are reported uh, regularly, that they're more powerful and more capable than the United States. So there is a little bit of overestimation and over-egging of the Russian capability. Um, on the other hand, the sense of insecurity in the United States about Russian and Chinese cyber capability is fully justified because we can see, uh, uh, as we have seen in the last, uh, the Colonial Pipeline link for, uh, leak uh, attack, for example, we have seen how damaging these sorts of attacks can be. So it's a combination of things, uh, asymmetry of information, But in a sense, deep insecurity about the inability to uh, prevent uh, some of these worst, some of the worst Russian and Chinese cyber attacks.
0: I I want to get to uh, some of the uh, deeper. Uh, details of, of where we are, uh, technological substitution and what what have you, that the Russians are working. Um, but you uh, co-authored with your colleagues, uh, Kylan uh, Tay, as well as uh, Monish Sharma, uh, a paper when she did 10 case studies on offensive cyber power, um, uh, and another one with Jason Blessing on dom- how domestic politics uh, shapes cyber concepts and capabilities. What were your findings in terms of how America and Russia Differently approach cyber power, particularly as an offensive tool. I mean, how what's the what's the mindset that we have to understand about how the Russians uh, look at the capability, and in contrast, how the United States and its allies and partners look at it, which may be different.
1: Thanks, Rago. It's quite interesting that um, in those ten case studies, uh, four for the United States, three for Russia, and three for China, we found that neither none of those governments had yet unleashed the full potential of their cyber power for political and strategic gain. We also found that um, in each of those three countries, there was not a high level of acceptance uh, at the top levels of the leadership uh, of the value, the strategic value of cyber operations. So, for example, in the case of Russia, we can see that President Putin put a lot of faith in covert operations of the classic kind, subversion, poisoning one's enemies with... uh, strange uh, chemicals and substances. Uh, And as we went into the Ukraine uh, invasion, we saw that the uh, Russians had staked very much on classic subversion, paying off um, Ukrainian officials. They thought they were paying off Ukrainian officials to basically come in behind the Russian uh, occupation. They did try uh, some serious cyber attacks, for example, on the Russian military command and control. But what our report assessed that the Russians were relatively inconsistent in the way they approached the military and strategic uses of cyber operations. So, for example, against Ukraine in 2015, 2016, we saw serious attacks against uh, power facilities in Ukraine, but we didn't see that repeated in 2017 or the years after. So one has got to ask, well, why wasn't that happening? Why were they sort of so inconsistent and ad hoc? And the answer we came up with was that... um, Uh, In all three countries, uh, and this is common across these couple of reports that we published, that certain political and bureaucratic processes uh, really retard uh, what's uh, going to be the eventual explosion of um, application of offensive cyber operations, say, in the five to 10 year time frame.
0: Do, do you notice the needle moving in the United States with the new administration, uh, as well as other uh, European governments in, in the wake of all the ransomware and penetrations and everything else we've seen? Well, the needle has been constantly
1: moving in the United States. Um, and in a sense, it's not so much because of the politicians or the political leaders. Uh, so uh, it's really because of the professionalism, uh, the level of organization and the degree of funding that the uh, armed forces and the intelligence agencies have baked into um, their overall development uh, with general support from the political leadership. And so there's been activist members of the US Congress, for example. Uh, the uh, various administrations have put forward policies after policies. Uh, there were the United States has declared a national emergency in cyberspace five times since 2016. Uh, so there is a high level push from the top. Interestingly, uh, the Biden administration is trying to walk back a liberalization of the authorities for offensive cyber operations that Trump introduced uh, pretty early in his administration. So uh, it's a mixed bag. But uh, in general, uh, the needle is definitely moving the pace of reform, the pace of commitment to resources, uh, and the sense of urgency uh, in the United States in the UK and allied countries is definitely moving and moving quite quickly.
0: Um, I want to uh, go to uh, Russian uh, capabilities now. Um, one of the things, and I should point out uh, that the audience should go to uh, the S website and both of these reports were, uh, came out uh, in uh, February, the ones I uh, referenced a moment ago. Um, Greg, uh, you know you, you uh, as we were preparing for this, you know you, you listed a bunch of fascinating statistics about the extraordinary brain drain uh, that Russia has been experiencing, particularly in this, uh, sector and uh, the Kremlin on uh, April 14, establishing a new body to spearhead Russian self-sufficiency uh, in the cyber and, and IT uh, sectors. Um, you know, walk walk us through this global two-way economy because Western firms are remarkably dependent on uh, Russian coders, uh, just as the Russians, as you mentioned, are extraordinarily dependent uh, on Western technology. Talk to us about how. This conflict is affecting that dynamic and how both sides are working to cope with it, right? How Western firms are uh, seeking to replace that talent uh, and capability, and Russia is trying to figure out a way ahead uh, without access to some of this technology.
1: We have a global ecosystem of labor in the ICT sector, uh, and the United States is a very attractive pole for uh, that labor market. When the invasion of Ukraine happened, there was an almost instant reaction amongst um, parts of the ICT sector in Russia, Uh, an instant judgment was made that uh, Putin had made a serious miscalculation that Russia would never be the same again for a long time. And uh, serious, uh, ambitious people in the ICT sector had to get out and get out fast. Uh, The estimates of how many left uh, vary uh, on the conservative side, Uh, the government is saying around 10,000 left um, in the first uh, few weeks. Others said around 70,000 left um, by mid-March. Others anticipated uh, a total brain drain of about 150,000 or more by the end of April. So a lively ecosystem. Uh, The United States was definitely the beneficiary of um, this ecosystem. uh, And there are many uh, people of Russian origin, Russian nationality, even working in the United States today and for US corporations around the world, uh, the Russian ICT sector was far more dependent uh, in terms of labor uh, on the United States uh, money uh, to pay for the ICT workforce than vice versa. Uh, and the, uh, what we're seeing now is a recognition uh, at the highest levels of the Russian government that the ICT workforce really is far more attracted to the Western way of life the freedoms that that um, uh, generates uh, and just simply don't like Russia. Uh, And there's a really interesting statement by uh, a government aligned uh, figure in Russia who's responsible for uh, information, the information and uh, ICT sector. And and he's basically said that uh, uh, Russian ICT workers just want to live and work in the West. They don't really like Russia. And this is the guy who's trying to help Putin implement this new sovereign cyber capability um, that he just announced. So it's really, um, it's really fascinating. Uh, we can think of a cosmopolitan, globalised uh, ICT workforce, uh, and it really just doesn't, uh, what's the word? Um, doesn't like this polarisation and this sort of uh, division of the world into blocks that uh,
0: uh, emerged immediately upon the. Uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. So so what's the takeaway? I mean, is, is the impact quantifiable uh, at this point about what the impact is going to be on Russian uh, capabilities?
1: Well, it might be precisely quantifiable if one had access to right. the right data. Uh, so, uh, But we're seeing, for example, um, uh, increase in job advertisements in different parts of the ICT sector. Uh, at the same time as a lot of companies have closed down. So that suggests uh, that there's a, a significant negative impact. Just how you measure it um, without precise data is, is one question, but I think it's fair to say uh, that um, unless there's an immediate change of course by Russia, an immediate return to Russia of the 84 uh, American corporations that ICT corporations that have left Russia, unless that happens immediately, the Russian ICT sector will probably not recover for a decade. It's that all. And,
0: and, and how much money are we talking about, right? I mean these are, these are not just tens of millions of dollars, uh, are they? I mean, this is some serious uh, amount of money ends up in Russia's coffers through this economy, right which is then good for Russia as well but that this is actually a meaningful impact with the withdrawal of these companies from a financial standpoint as well.
1: Yes. uh, So the uh, financial services sector in Russia was one of the uh, most active in terms of employment um, of ICT personnel. Uh, And we've seen a sharp downturn uh, in that sector uh, as a result of, in terms of numbers of employees, as a result of what's happened. Uh, That said, um, the Russian financial sector has not been as severely impacted by sanctions as people might imagine. Uh, But I think it's uh, worth noting that the Biden administration has uh, said publicly that it was surprised by the impact um, on the ICT sector in Russia of the tech sanctions uh, and really of the general situation. Uh, So nobody imagined, for example, that they'd be finding um, uh, semiconductors and chips from refrigerators being used in tanks in Ukraine, because the Russian uh, uh, tank manufacturers weren't able to get the the real thing, uh, so we have a real a real negative impact across the board in Russia in the ICT sector, uh, all sorts of areas uh, ranging from uh, you know power supply uh, to health uh, and to military manufacturing. Uh, so Russia's supply of Microchips from the rest of the world has effectively dried up. There's been a reduction of something like um, uh, 30 to 35% in Russian imports. Uh, Even though Russia has been making a lot of money from its exports um, after the war, uh, there's been such a sharp reduction in imports. And many of those um, imported products were electronics. uh, And there's been a decline in Chinese exports to Russia. And a large share of those exports uh, from China were also electronics. So huge disruption, uh, yet to be documented fully. Uh, and I think it's, um, you know, it definitely uh, warrants further, uh, more detailed examination.
0: It's, uh, it's astonishing that the, uh, you know, as you said, I mean, the ICT sector, the information and communications technology sector uh, is among the glo- most globalized on the planet. and And very, very important work is being done all around the planet, whether it's being done in in Russia, whether it's being done seamlessly in India or in Israel or in France or Britain or the United States or anywhere else. And quickly, a word from our sponsors. HII sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show, and Bell sponsored our coverage of the Army Aviation Association of America's annual meeting. What are the global reverberations for this that go uh, beyond... right? I mean, how do we need to think about this? Because we have a tendency of thinking about this as America and, and Russia, but actually the entire world is impacted, right? I mean, you know, um, the Chinese may be somewhat less impacted, uh, right? Because I think Tencent can continue its operations there. Uh, but what 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 are the sort of broader global ramifications, uh, right? I mean, we're looking at a decade-long impact on Russia, but what is the impact we're seeing elsewhere in the, in the world beyond the United States?
1: Sure. Well, if we're looking at the uh... ICT sector uh, in isolation, I think what we see is really a net gain to the rest of the world. Um, So Russia was not um, a large player globally. Uh, So its most um, uh, notable uh, cybersecurity company, for example, Kaspersky Lab was operating at about the uh, billion dollars in revenue, uh, you know, on the uh, exchange rate before the invasion. uh, whereas companies like Symantec um, operated about the four billion the five billion you know IBM security um, you know the, the global uh, ICT sector in uh, the west um, and in China is uh, miles bigger you know it's just massively bigger than anything in Russia Russia had a tiny ICT sector uh, it's it sort of in a sense overregged and overestimated in many respects uh, You know, the quality of uh, Russian education in the ICT sector has been assessed by Chinese specialists as being much weaker than the quality of education um, in the United States. Uh, And interestingly, the same scholars from China assess the quality of education, cyber education in China to be also less than that in the United States. So the global, in terms of negative impacts um, uh, of this ICT retrenchment in Russia, we're really not going to see many. We're going to see net gains because the Chinese are pulling back from um, their supply to Russia of uh, microchips and other electronics, for example.
0: And and why is that? Is that because they're concerned about the somehow undermining their relationship with the United States?
1: Well, and it, the West, it's more the hard lessons learned from Huawei um, and the U.S. policy uh, that these sanctions are to be enforced globally. The U.S. sanctions rule at the moment is that anything made with a U.S. tool, electronic tool or a physical tool that's produced in the U.S. or depends on U.S. IP, cannot be exported to Russia. And almost everything made in China in terms of electronics and even many non-electronic products depend on uh, tools, computerized tools that have something in them that's made in the United States. So um, China is looking very carefully at um, what uh, its exporting to Russia. The United States has not had the chance yet, after the imposition of the sanctions, to fully investigate all the potential breaches that might have occurred. Uh, but because of what happened to Huawei, uh, in terms of the way the sanctions against Huawei were applied uh, in the last few years, Chinese corporations now know that if they breach these sanctions, they're going to have big troubles accessing the Western markets. And that's very important for China, uh, just you know. Its importance can't be underestimated.
0: Let me uh, take you to uh, the question of uh, lessons learned uh, from uh, this uh, conflict. Uh, everybody is looking at lessons, right? I mean, whether it's about tanks or uh, uh, heli- you know uh, army aviation and uh, helicopters uh, and what have you. From your standpoint, what are the operational cyber um, and intelligence fusion lessons from this war?
1: Well, I think they're substantial, um, as in other fields of uh, the operations. One of the most important has been the participation of the private sector in the cyber defense of Ukraine. So Microsoft, a company operating in Russia uh, and still in supporting uh, Microsoft software in Russia, uh, participated in the cyber defense of Ukraine. Uh, Between uh, February and the 4th of March, Microsoft reports that it undertook 67 separate cyber defense projects um, in support of Ukraine. Uh, This is against the Russian operations. Uh, So the uh, this overwhelming response by the private sector to the cyber defense of Ukraine was absolutely fundamental to its ability to uh, continue to operate. But that uh, private sector activity was not completely independent of very large scale uh, official support from the United States. And the United States government has reported in public that it uh, was actively engaged in the cyber defense of Ukraine beginning uh, in at least December last year. uh, And uh, in a substantial way, that support from the United States was uh, augmented and amplified by support from other allies. So in a sense, you've got the entire talent of the world uh, bar China basically and Korea engaged in um, the cyber defense of Ukraine. And another important lesson that goes with that is the mobilization of uh, individual uh, hackers and um, individual cyber specialists um, rallying to the Ukrainian side. Uh, And that's sort of, uh, in a sense, matched on the Russian side by people walking away. So there were many people in the ICT sector in Russia, as we've uh, discussed, who didn't want any part of the war. And a government like Russia, a government like the United States or China, cannot conduct, cannot possess offensive cyber capability if it doesn't have a lively and healthy uh, contribution from its private sector. So not all of the cyber warriors uh, sit in uniform. Um, in a war like this, uh, there are all sorts of civilians engaged, um, all sorts of private contractors. Uh, and on the Russian side, it was pretty weak to start with, and it, it got weaker um, as a result of this rapid emigration of ICT specialists.
0: Let me uh, let me just uh, briefly ask you why we haven't seen more ransomware attacks and whether and how the dynamic right in the Russian system, you could be working for the state uh, in the cyber uh, realm, uh, whether in a classified unit or an unclassified unit, and then you go home and you can support a ransomware uh, operation, right? You could work for our evil. Um, Why isn't we why isn't it we've seen more ransomware attacks? And does this brain drain, in some capacity, affect the whole double-hatted Russian malign cyber infrastructure potentially, or or not?
1: Yeah, well, it's a great question. I think that the uh, the malign actors, the malicious actors in Russia, wouldn't have been the ones who emigrated.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, so that part is that part's alive and well. Excellent yeah, so point, Greg. The um, yeah, I well think played, Doctor Austin. Yeah, I think that the, uh, uh,
1: the history of what happened in cyberspace in Ukraine um, in the last few months is yet to be written. Uh, I think there were many more attacks tried um, and there was hugely successful cyber defence. Um, we don't know the full scale of it. Before the invasion and around the invasion, many people were expecting an unleashing of Russian cyber offensive operations. Um, we didn't see it, but one of the reasons we didn't see it was the massive defence effort that had been mobilised. Um, a lot of effort had been put into Ukrainian cyber defences uh, in the preceding years. Um, so um, I think that we'll, we'll find out that there were many efforts, um, but um, they were defeated. Uh, we don't know, for example, what offensive operations uh, an organisation like Cyber Command might have conducted against these ransomware uh, teams in russia they could have and probably did uh, directly attack them and disable their systems
0: um and and again uh, your colleague uh, nigel uh, ingster was on uh, some weeks ago and, and discussed that a little bit in terms of um you know d- demonstration of and and use of extraordinary capabilities right i mean there's there's no sense having it if you're not going to use it uh, as you said sort of the first order uh, cyber power that the united states and the united kingdom are um if you are sitting in China, what are the lessons, Greg, that you're drawing from this, right? I mean, there is this sense that it's, uh, that Ukraine's victory is, is vital for the global rules-based order imposed uh, for everybody's benefit in the wake of World War II. Uh, although the Chinese bristle at that system, they're also respecting the rules of that system uh, th- thus far, uh, even if they harbor their own malign tendencies uh, and, and certainly executing their own operations. From, from your standpoint, what are the lessons the Chinese are taking from everything that they're seeing? Because they tend to be very, very astute and diligent students of sure. these developments. Well,
1: let me just mention three. So at the broad strategic level, this Chinese leadership hates instability. Okay, so um, for all sorts of historical reasons, they prefer things to just remain calm so that they can get on advance the economy, and generally improve their military strategic capability and their military strategic position. So this Russian invasion has sort of destabilised that ambition in a number of ways. Uh, it's uh, strengthened Western cohesion, uh, especially in cyberspace, for example. So that's one level um, of um, dis- disquiet for China. Right. Uh, in terms of the operational lessons, uh, people will have talked about, uh, you know, things like anti-tank weapons, Um Uh, and um, anti-ship missiles fired from the shore. Uh, So uh, all sorts of vulnerabilities for China in in trying uh, to mount um, a classic conventional attack. On the other hand, what China will learn um, from the Russian failure for the covert operations and the political destabilisation operations, that Russia simply didn't do it very very well. Um, And so you can guarantee uh, that there'll be a bigger investment in China in the Ministry of State Security and in those um, agencies, which would be responsible for psychological operations against Taiwan. Uh, So I think the Ukraine Ukraine war tells China that um, good investment um, and skillful use of covert operations at political level are pretty fundamental because you're not gonna win um, on the battlefield unless you've got that um, highly organized and highly successful set of covert operations. I think the other thing that China will um, take away from this um, is the the demonstration of Western resolve um, and allied capability in cyberspace. I mean, it's just overwhelming. Not only did Russia provoke the might um, of the United States um, and its NATO allies, but Russia found itself lined up against the best cyber defence capabilities of the most powerful ICT corporations in the world. Uh, you know, and the role of Microsoft, I, I keep coming back to it, but Microsoft would not have been the only one. Uh, and, and the role of Microsoft, um, you know, is, is simply very powerful. Uh, and as important as China is to Microsoft, um, Microsoft took the position that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was unlawful, unjustified, disgraceful, sickening, saddening, um, all those things that they've said in public. Uh, and it was Microsoft's responsibility to defend uh, the Ukrainian government against the malicious actions of the Russian government in cyberspace, uh, were it to come to a conflict over Taiwan, um, hard to know how, which way Microsoft would jump in that case. The financial incentives for it are very different. Um, but um, China's shifting to a much more um, sovereign based capability. For example, there's a new order out for that in two years' time, all government agencies have to move to domestically produced uh, operating systems. So Microsoft's future in China is not necessarily looking that, uh, that good in the long term. So um, yeah, so I think China learns that lesson that uh, the corporate uh, and governmental power of the Western Alliance is massive and overwhelming and Russia has been defeated uh, in the information space by the, that Alliance.
0: Um, let me just add very very briefly because we're at time, but I want to get your your sense. You did mention the dependency the Chinese have on American and Western uh, technology, and certainly uh, the importance of a of a sort of central company like Microsoft, uh, right? so I mean if you if you if you piss off microsoft, you're you're in as bad trouble as you are if you've uh, pissed off the British or the American governments, right? And yeah. it's worse if if all of those are aligned against you. Yeah. but how do you assess? China's ability and capabilities, right? I mean, the Russians are going to try to supplant this on their own, but it is not clear whether they're at such an order of magnitude behind even where China is in terms of being able to develop this capability, that um, that they're in a very bad way, fortunately. How closer are the Chinese to being able to indigenously develop these capabilities? Because in each and every sense, uh, Greg, we have seen that the Chinese have sought autonomy for the things that matter, steal the technologies and the things that matter, steal the savoir-faire, right? the know-how, uh, if, if you can. How do, how do you assess their ability to be able to bridge any of these gaps as they try to stand self-sufficient? And how long of a project is that? And, and does that actually delay an action against Taiwan, for example, if they conclude, wow, this is gonna take us 20 years? or 15 years or 10 years.
1: The IISS published a report last year, this report on cyber power. We assessed that China's capabilities in cyberspace were at least 10 years behind those of the United States. Uh, One very simple indicator of that was the size of the cybersecurity industry in China relative to the size of the cybersecurity industry in the United States. the size of the industry in China is a fraction, maybe about 30% of the size of the industry in the United States. That's still evolving, but the United States capability continues to grow. The output of Chinese education institutions in cybersecurity is measurable. We can see it expanding all the time, but we can see that it's not still not catching up. We also know the state of cybersecurity in China to be very weak. Uh, So cybersecurity in the United States is weak, Uh, cybersecurity in the UK is weak, the director of GCHQ just said so, Um, but China's is much weaker. What that means for China's options in Taiwan uh, is that it uh, really can't count on security in cyberspace uh, as it launches an operation. So to learn from Ukraine, uh, as I said before, not to put too much stake on the direct kinetic capability. Not to put too much stake on anything that involves cyberspace, but put maximum stake on the fifth column operations, political operations, psychological operations. And I must say that uh, China's position in that respect in Taiwan is far, far greater than Russia's was in Ukraine. Uh, So Putin would have loved to have uh, many people in Ukraine, in the government um, and across the country who supported the Russian invasion, but there wasn't. In the case of China and Taiwan, there's probably a good 10% of the people uh, 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 who actively espouse already today uh, the value of unification with China. uh, And there's another sort of 20 or 30% uh, who are not sure. Uh, So, um, yeah. So the weakness of China in cyberspace will definitely shape China's options. uh, And China's got some good options in political warfare and subversion.
0: Greg, thanks very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Uh, look forward to having you back on uh, again soon, even when you're back in Singapore, or maybe because you're back in Singapore. Uh, and 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 thanks so very very much. And and thanks also for the terrific work. Well done. Yeah, thank you, Valga. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Good luck.